Mary Byers, and this is Associations Today. My guest is Kathy Burns, CEO of the Produce Marketing Association, a not-for-profit focused on the global fruit, vegetable, and floral industries. Leveraging her prior expertise as a supermarket executive, Kathy is responsible for a number of strategic PMA initiatives including those focused on increasing consumption of fresh fruits, vegetables, and floral, helping PMA members more effectively engage and communicate with consumers, as well as developing the association's board of directors to ultimately grow a healthier world. She enjoys spending quality time with her family, which includes her husband, Ty, and their two daughters, Alexis and Z. Kathy, I am thrilled to have an opportunity to talk with you today. And I was interested because I heard your board chair at an exceptional boards program refer to courage as one of your organizational values. And that's a first for me. Not only do I not hear values discussed on a regular basis within the association space, I certainly haven't heard courage as being identified as one and my ears perked up right away. Tell me about the genesis of these values and how they are impacting your organization. Yeah, well, first of all, Mary, thank you so much for having me. I, um, I'm a big fan of yours based on my experience through the ASAE Extraordinary Board Performance Conversation or um, event that I go to on an annual basis with my chair-elect. So thank you for all the wisdom you've imparted on me over the last several years. If I think about courage and the genesis of our core values, it actually started with our strategic planning process. Actually, courage is one of our three organizational values, character and community being the other two. And as part of the strategic planning process, we obviously set a vision and a mission, but to ultimately realize the vision that we set for the association, we knew it had to be grounded foundationally in our core values. And if you're, a, if you're an association that's ultimately out to bring the global produce and floral community together to build a healthier world, I can't think of doing that without courage. But I will tell you, as a global association, we sometimes have members who are on opposite ends of an issue um, that may be controversial, they may be tough, but ultimately a decision needs to to be made. And what I have found is leadership sometimes means supporting positions that not all members agree upon, and that takes courage. You know, I I think it's easy to talk about courage, but actually exercising courage uh, is is difficult. I was with another group earlier, uh, or I guess late last year, and they're in the retail space, and it's tough in the retail space now. And so one of the individuals spoke up and said, you know, we're really, really doing difficult work here. And that led to a great conversation about how leadership requires not only doing brave things, it it means speaking the unspeakable sometimes. That's right. So I think what you've done by actually identifying courage as a word is you've given your staff and your volunteer leaders permission uh, really to do things and, and talk about things that are sometimes hard. And that's exactly how it's getting expressed. When you have a staff and a board that aligns around these three core values for PMA and knowing that if you're out to grow a healthier world, you're right, sometimes you have to lean in. Um, And knowing that the board has the staff's back and the staff has the board's back, it's really opened up new platforms for us 
and ways of speaking that quite frankly have a little more edge than you may see in a typical association, uh, but is required if we want to move the issues that are really important to ultimately drive consumption of fruits and vegetables and the demand for floral forward. Well, and when you talk about growing a healthier world, that is not a small task. No, it's not. <laughs> and unfortunately, if you look the trends, we have some pretty big headwinds against us. If, if we don't change the trajectory of eating habits for the next generations, you know, let's forget about us for a second and think about our children and our children's children. If we don't change the trajectory of their eating habits, this will be the first, the next generations will not live as long as their parents. And that's unacceptable. And for an association that stands for the driving consumption of fruits and vegetables, um, we have some real ownership and, quite frankly, responsibility to change that trajectory. And again, that takes courage. Well, and you've really put a stake in the ground then. I mean, you're just saying this is too important, not just for us, but for generations to come. This is too important for us not to be willing to speak up. Is that fair? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's certainly the, there's the impact of our members in terms of increasing their sales um, and the prosperity of their businesses over time. And the fact that, you know, so many of our businesses are uh, layer up um, or actually start with family run businesses that layer up to some consolidation of those businesses. And if you think about the generations that farms are passed on um, within their families, we don't want to risk that because ultimately um, the world is not consuming more fruits and vegetables, not only for because it's a critical component to change the trajectory of disease states, but also the prosperity of our business. And that's a big part of our sustainability platform. So, you know, in an earlier conversation, you mentioned that the staff realized they were serving members well, but not necessarily each other well. And I'm really intrigued by that, too, because I think that's another conversation a lot of associations yeah. don't bother to have. So um, I, I'm curious what this looked like and how the values are, are helping to change that. Yeah, so when I first joined PMA, uh, coming from the grocery retail business, one of the most critical factors and, and the guiding principles I put in place as I was trying to decide what my next chapter was going to be was to ensure that my core values and beliefs aligned with the organization. So I knew once really understanding the culture of PMA before I joined, it was balanced with caring and empathy and service but ultimately with performance. So it, it really, you know, we really did have a nice balance. But like any organization or association, there were areas to improve, specifically around trust, accountability, and conflict resolution. Those were probably the three that stood out to me the most when I first entered. You know, associations typically have a servant culture uh, that flows outward from the staff uh, to our members. And what I found was there was actually an aversion to address conflict in a real timely manner that ultimately may have hurt performance, but certainly could have, could have an impact on relationships. So the member, the member experience actually wasn't being impacted, but there was an organizational tension that would kind of ebb and flow throughout the calendar year, or sometimes it would actually build to a breaking point, which as you know, is unhealthy. So again, just my own uh, philosophy about this is you really can't be a high performing association or be an innovative association when you have fear in the system. 
And so we really worked um, hard in terms of really identifying what are the gaps um, that are exist today that if closed could put us on a very different, different trajectory of performance and innovation. So how did you go about identifying the gaps and what did that process look like for you? Yeah, so we started with the end in mind, right? At the end of the day, we wanted to be a high-performing organization. So we started with a diagnostic. And we did a diagnostic across uh, the organization that really identified the behavioral gaps that ultimately were inhibiting performance. So the senior leadership team, um, after they they received the diagnostic, it was done by a third party, so very objective. Uh, The senior leadership team identified seven core competencies to take on across the organization. Things like accountability, trust, conflict resolution, coaching and mentoring, communication. Now, you could say those are basic management skills, but they were highlighted that if we could really make a difference in these seven competencies, it would dramatically improve the culture and ultimately the results that we were delivering uh, to our members. So once the seven competencies were identified, we actually, and, and we, had, we wordsmithed them to a T to make sure that we aligned around the definitions of each of these seven competencies, we identified associated behaviors that when these competencies were alive and well in the organization, here's what it would look like. So the, the senior management team uh, did this, and then we refined it by bringing a subset of the staff team that represented a very diverse mix of staff members across various functional teams in our organization um, to say, all right, are we on target here? Is this is what we're hearing that could be gaps for the organization? And what was the beauty of doing this particular step? is that it positively influenced the implementation and overall buy-in for the re- from the rest of the teams in the organization. Um, so we were really intentional, very intentional, that the competencies weren't these tablets that came down from the mountain from the senior management team. It was really um, the collaboration of the association to get clear on the competencies, the associated behaviors, and a way to ultimately inspire the organization to embrace them and change behavior. So you mentioned a third party. Was this the the third party made some observations or was there any kind of assessment tool or um, internal surveying uh, that that was part of this so that there was clarity for this third party in helping identify? Yeah, great question. Most associations or organizations do what I call annual employee surveys, and and certainly we were on the track to do that. But we did actually use um, an individual that came in and did uh, in-person interviews with uh, a cross-section of the organization. So that data coupled with our traditional kind of annual employee survey, which it's critical to ask the right questions there, um, plus the senior management team's experience. We had a lot of different data points that came together, and then we worked with the, with the individual that did the diagnostic to go through a process to get really clear, as I mentioned earlier, on the competencies, their definitions, the associated behaviors, and, um, and what it would look like when it's successfully um, implemented across the association. 
So give me an idea how long this, this process uh, lasts. You know, when I hear stuff like this, I, I get excited because I know that the, the time you spend on the front end doing this kind of work actually saves a whole heck of a lot of time and stress and uh, uh, anxiety and sadness on the back end. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, for an association staff that is trying to get through the next meeting and uh, has <laughs> legislative fly-ins going on and communications deadlines and uh, registrations and membership recruitment and retention, sometimes it's hard to set aside this kind of time. So give us an idea, uh, you know, is this a months long, a years long? And, and you know, what's next for you in this initiative? Yeah, so I, I mean, you have to be committed to it, right? Um, so, you know, for, for me, it was critical. I clearly see the link between investing in this type of cultural work and the ultimate um, results that you get across the, org, uh, the association. So for, for me, it's very clear um, that, you know, you hear that, you know, culture can eat strategy for breakfast. And I subscribe, lunch, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I subscribe to that for sure, um, that you absolutely need to invest up front and, and appreciate that it's going to take some time to get the foundational work in place to ultimately see the payoff um, in the long run. You'll get quick wins at the beginning, um, but then, you know, a year or two down the road, you're really going to start to see the momentum created of investing in the culture. So at the same time, we are transforming the business, we are transforming the culture. And I would say that we did that intentionally and they were integrated. So I would say start to finish, it was a good nine months um, just to do the diagnostics, to get clear on identifying the competencies, to identify um, the behaviors associated with them, to roll it out into the organization. A lot of organizations will do the first few steps, Mary. So they'll start with the diagnostic. That's easy. They'll identify the behaviors. That's fairly easy. Um, and the competencies. It's the change management component where people give up because that's where the heavy lifting really happens. And so we stuck with it. And um, so now it's we've changed our whole performance appraisal process. We are an organization that sunset the have sunsetted the annual performance appraisal, and we now do what we call the Big Five every month. Um, we have a whole structure associated with that, so people are able to celebrate their success from the previous months, but also get real time feedback and coaching. Um, in, in every month, and then we set we are making sure that we're aligned um, as we head into the next month in terms of what's most important. Roadblocks are highlighted. There's a whole structure around that. But what I will tell you is, we are an association that is seeing really nice growth, and we have an event, uh, a large event, uh, every year, and and it continues to grow. And I will say we've had our best year ever in 2019. And I will, I will commit to you um, that it was because of the seeds that we planted back in 2017. Nice. Nice. But I think the key point that you said is uh, a lot of groups uh, do the first part, the easier part, and they don't stay with it. And, uh, you know, nine months for the beginning part, is just the beginning part and that's right culture work has to uh to continue going on um what i'm re uh, interested in too is the the value of courage is actually um encouraging uh pma to seek seats at tables you might not have uh otherwise been at and i am so intrigued by this uh, it, it's about attending events that you might not be at um including the consumer electronics show 
South by Southwest and the Millican Global Summit. And when you think of produce and floral, you don't necessarily think of those things all in the same sentence. So um, what's behind that thinking and what's, what's coming of this initiative for you? Well, it really is linked back to courage. Uh, Sometimes we're getting invited to these tables. Other times we're inviting ourselves to these tables. Um, And it's been, and again, intentional. If you're out to grow a healthier world, you need to be sitting at the tables where these conversations are happening and influencing them. So uh, leaning in. So there's a number of factors in play here, Mary. First, food is part of customer culture. <laughs> um, it's actually, it's really essentially the currency of social media. When you look at all the activity related to food across all platforms, I was really surprised. I, I heard recently there have been 369 million posts on Instagram alone carrying the hashtag food. Holy moly. Compared to something like technology, which you would think would far exceed that, the the hashtag technology has our eight or nine million posts on Instagram. So food is already popular in consumer media, but for fruits and vegetables, the pattern is that we've been in um, in the news is typically bad. It's like when there's a foodborne illness outbreak linked to produce. That's when we pop up in the news. And if you think about what's happening with plant-based foods focused on, you know, kind of the alternatives to animal protein, there's actually very little connection to fruits and vegetables as the original plant-based diet. I mean, we are the original plant-based diet. Right, right. Um, Someone else is telling the narrative around plant-based foods. Not, I'm, Believe me, I'm all for plant-based foods. Anything with the word plant in it is beneficial to us. Um, but it's not, we're not, le- we're not leading that um, dialogue. You know, the people that are, are developing the plant-based substitutes are. If you think about emerging technologies and innovation in agriculture, really influencing production, retail, all facets of the supply chain. So for us, we found that the convergence of all these trends was creating an environment where other people, and not always the most informed or accurate ones, were ultimately leading our conversation around food and agriculture. So again, leaning back into courage, we recognize that our role is to both speak on behalf of our industry, but also we've, we've positioned our, our members in the industry to get on platforms to ultimately share their knowledge and insights. So what's interesting, Mary, about our industry is produce and floral, we don't have an issue with the emotional connection um, of our products to consumers. Emotional connection actually isn't a barrier at all. We, we clearly already have people's hearts, but it's our industry connection to the world and therefore the, their minds that ultimately need strengthening. So, yeah, we're popping up. We were just at CES again this year. We'll have more panels at South by next year. We are at Art Basel in December uh, down in Miami. Again, really focusing on influencing conversations and changing the narrative about fruits and vegetables and floral um, around the world. And that takes courage once again, because not everyone is telling our same story. And we know if we're centered on the truth, character, leaning into courage, we're going to build a community um, that will be very, very strong for us in the future. And our members are counting on us to do that as well. So are you, have you been surprised by anything that has emerged from showing up at any of these kind of non-traditional 
uh, places? Have there been any collaborations? Have there been any, any new connections? Uh, can you can you give us an example of, of something or is it still too early to answer that question? No, I think it's a great question. Um, one, I'm surprised we weren't there earlier. That's what I'm definitely surprised about is because these conversations have been going on for years without us being at the table. Um, but th- that's the other, that's the, the, I guess the upside of, of showing up at these tables is now everybody wants to collaborate with you. Mm. And in a, in a world where you mentioned limited resources, finite resources, you can't do everything. That's where strategy really comes in around making choices and making sure that we're making the right choices with our limited resources to be able to move our platforms and agendas forward. So what we have found is we actually have to put a filter system in place to now understand what are we going to say yes to and making sure that it's using our members' resources wisely, our own time wisely, and that it will ultimately impact um, the metrics of our our strategic plan and and, uh, kind of more aspirationally ultimately um, move our vision forward. So we've had uh, some really um, interesting conversations with people that we have met at these forums from universities to healthcare officials to the medical uh, community uh, to for-profit organizations that are outside our space that ultimately want to partner with us. We haven't really figured out what it is they want to do yet, but um, sometimes we wear the white hats. Most of the time we wear the white hats that people want to connect with to ultimately move their agendas forward to. So the key is what's the objective? Because for me, and I learned this from you, actually, collaboration is the new currency. Ah. And um, we have used that as a beacon and our North Star as we move forward. But you also need to make choices on who you want to collaborate with. And the objective is really clear and how you're going to measure that objective so that if it is a true partnership, there's equal amount of work going into it. And it's not just one organization doing all the work while the other organization kind of rides on the coattails. And if there is anywhere where it takes courage, it's in saying no. That's for sure. Because yes is easy. Yeah. It's easy. uh, It doesn't require bravery. And so uh, uh, saying no, and you're absolutely right. That's what strategy is. It's choice. Are are we going to be here or are we going to be here? Are we going to do this or are we going to do that? Are we going to collaborate with them or are we going to collaborate with them? So, uh, you know, totally uh, that the courage and the the yes and no factor, I guess, really are, are closely aligned. Um, so we've covered a lot of ground here, and I could keep going for a really long time on this topic because all of this is, is really close to my heart, but what advice would you give to an association professional whose organization doesn't have articulated values but believes they could benefit uh, to help move the work of both the board and the staff and the association as a whole forward? Yeah, I mean, if if an association um, hasn't spent the time really digging into where they get their strength and what's most critically important to them, what are the non-negotiables as far as their culture is concerned, um, I would strongly encourage you to do so. One, I'm thinking back to our journey. I'd suggest that you spend time in reflection with your board. 
that's probably where we've moved forward the furthest. Um, and as you know, Mary, we have a board of 39 members. <laughs> and most people would say, 39 people, that's crazy. If I could move to 80, I would <laughs> because of the advocacy and loyalty you have with those board members um, and the fact that we represent the whole supply chain and we represent the whole world. Having said that, we do have an executive committee, so I don't want to think that, you know, it's 39 people. Um, I'll hold my hands and sing it. Exa exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, but I, I think, you know, the time that we reflect with the total board is, is precious. Um, obviously, they're, we're, they're there for their thought leadership, and you want to be able to garner that. So I think spending time in reflection with your board, really figuring out what you ultimately stand for. For me, I always like to leverage outside help to do that so I can play versus having to facilitate. The same thing with the board chair. I'd want them to play versus facilitate. Um, so a couple things that, I, if I recall, we explored, um, really starting with that higher aspirational kind of big audacious goal you want to reach for and one that ultimately will resonate across your member community. That's where we came up with really growing a healthier world. And that healthier world has, it's not just it, a big part of its consumption, but it also touches sustainability. It touches prosperity. Um, it, how are you going to treat the planet? How are you going to treat your people? So it's, it's a broad net. But once we got locked into growing a healthier world, really getting clear on why will you do this? Why is it important to grow, a, grow, your, grow a healthier world? How will we ultimately deliver against this? And again, to what end? Um, and what I found is it was a challenging exercise to go through for the board because everyone has an opinion on what we should be focused on. But that ultimately led to redefining ourselves, not only internally, but externally. And once we got really clear on what the end game was and spent the uptime investment with the board to do this, then it was actually easier to identify what core values will be critical in ultimately receiving, uh, achieving your vision. Um, so it's not like I would separate the core values from, you know, other, other work of the board. Part of it's how I'm wired to think about how to run an association. It's strategy, structure, people, and business process. And part of identifying a strategy is to identify the core values that will ultimately have you reach your mission and your vision. Um, and, and it can do so exponentially. If you're willing to invest, you personally are willing to invest your time and the resources ultimately to get you there. And you've mentioned the word uh, clarity uh, several times here, and I absolutely believe and I've seen many, many times that decisions get easier once you have clarity around them, either what you're really deciding, what the values are around what you're deciding, or as, as you've said, beginning with the end in mind, if you know where you're going, of course, right. it's, it's always easier to get there. So Kathy, thank you so much for this conversation. This Pleasure. is Mary Byers and uh, Successful Associations Today. 